I lost everything. Mom's gone, dad's gone, I lost everything. Yes, Carter, you lost everything, which also means that you now have nothing to lose. There's no one more dangerous on this planet than someone who has nothing to lose. So I started operating as someone who has nothing to lose. And what it did for me is it let me know early on that there's a positive and negative side of everything. Why not use the positive side of the situation to get you to the destination that you need to be at? I have this crazy goal right now, which is in the next three months, so the next 90 days, I want this channel to hit 100,000 subscribers. Insane. Here's how you guys can help me. Right now, 96.9% of people that watch the podcast are not subscribed. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've gotten even one nugget of information, inspiration from this podcast, please subscribe. Help me reach my goal. I was looking at your Instagram and you said something in one of your posts that just resonated. So here's, I'm going to quote it to you and then I want to get your thoughts on it. You say, 10 years ago, I was at a job that I hated, depressed from Monday to Friday, overworked and underpaid. Then I decided to quit my job, follow my passions, and never let someone else determine my worth. Here is where I want to begin. I want to rewind 10 years. I want you to take me back to that time. You're at the job, you're depressed, it's not working. Give me the context, what's happening in your life at that moment. Um, I was living... Well, my cousin at the time. And I knew I was at a job that I didn't like, but I thought everybody just went through life working a job they didn't like so they can party on the weekends. I thought that was just life. And then um, my cousin came to my room uh, in the morning as I'm getting ready for work. He said, yeah, yo, cuz, what's today? And I'm like, what? He said, like, like, what day of the week is it? I said, bro, it's, it's Tuesday. He's like, oh, I thought it was Saturday. I'm like, bro, you're a grown man. Like, how don't you know what day of the week it is? And his response, Lord me, and I never forget it. He said, well, you know, cause I do what I love to do every single day. So the days of the week don't really matter to me. And then he closed my door and went back in the room and went to his room and went to sleep. He dropped that on me at eight o'clock in the morning as I'm going to a job that I don't like. And it, for the first time in my life, it dawned on me, like, is there a world where you can wake up every day, love what you do to the point where you don't care about the weekend because there's no difference between the weekend and the week. You're happy every day of the week or every day of your life for that matter. And that was my first time like really opening my mind to saying like, there's more to life and I got, and I owe it to myself to chase it. I'm curious, did it feel real to you in that moment? And, and here's what I mean. I feel like so many people, especially entrepreneurs that have built like great lives and they, they show it on Instagram and on TikTok and all these things. They're like, um, like, I don't have to live for the weekend. Like every day is like the weekend for me. And I feel like for the person that's in their job, it's almost like, yeah, right. Like, cool, that's for you. But like, it's not something that I could do. So I'm curious for you, when your cousin first said that to you, did it hit? Did it feel real in that moment that you could actually live a life like that? I didn't know if I could but I knew I owed it to myself to try. Like if you don't take your life into your own hands at some point, you are going to regret not doing that. And so at the moment, I didn't, I didn't know if I can do it or not, but I, I, I had to try. And you know, I'll be the first to say entrepreneurship every single day, you're not gonna do what you love to do. I mean, every single day, you're not, it's not gonna be the weekend, but if you can succeed in a job that you hate, 
imagine what you can do in a business that you love, mm. you know? So that for me was, it just, I owed it to myself. I owed it to myself to try. And I think everybody, whether it's becoming an entrepreneur or just, you know, changing, pivoting directions to doing something that makes you happy. I don't think everybody needs to be an entrepreneur, but everybody should do something that makes them happy every single day. That's a special quote. If you can succeed in a job that you hate, you can excel in something that you love. That's a special quote. I'm curious, I want you to kind of give the context of why you're doing what you're doing now. Like, how did you find the thing that you love? <laughs> um, it was actually a very interesting story. So my parents died early on, right? So my mom died when I was 14. My dad died when I was 16. And we were like living out of a hotel with my auntie, like by age 17, right? So around that time, like I'm age 17, I'm like in my senior year, right? About to graduate. And my guidance counselor asked me, well, Carter, what do you, what do you want to study? What do you want to do? And it was around the, uh, the recession, 08, 09. And I, was, I just remember going to the computer and typing in what job has the lowest unemployment rate? And CPA was the number one profession that had the lowest unemployment rate. Because I don't care what, happen what happens in the economy, you're going to need a, a CPA. You're going to need a tax strategist. So I actually pursued my career based off of necessity, not love, right? It was based off what I needed, not passion. And because I didn't have the, the, the luxury of like dreaming when I was younger. Um, and it just so turned out that I fell in love with what I, what I did because, you know, taxes is everybody's number one expense. If I can eliminate that for myself, I put more money back in my pocket. If I can eliminate it for everybody else, I put more money back in their pocket. So it's a way that I can leverage my love of numbers and curiosity of money and actually still be able to make a huge impact. So I didn't chase the passion, but I fell into it. Yeah. You know what? I, um, I was listening to a podcast that you'd been on and you said something that resonated. You said, I had a mentor and he told me this very important thing about wealthy people. He said, wealthy people do two very important things well. They make their money work for them and they keep Uncle Sam out of their pockets. Talk to me about that. Okay, so we are in upgrade season. This is about upgrading your work, upgrading your pay, all of those things. And that brings us to the sponsor of today's show, Free Agency. Free Agency represents and manages talent in the tech industry. They provide you with a dedicated talent agent that helps you find and win top of market roles. So if you're looking to build your dream career today, check out Free Agency, go to the link in the description. Thank me later. Yeah. So I had a mentor, uh, you know, early on, it was, it was my friend's dad, right? The most successful person I personally knew. And once he gave me that quote, it really just helped level my perspective, right? Like two, only two things I got to do. If, if I, if I want to be wealthy, I have to make my money work while I'm not around, right? Make my money multiply itself. And I have to keep uncle Sam out of my pockets. And if I'm able to do that, do that for other people, I'm able to help them and make a lot of money in the process because you cannot become wealthy working for all the money you make, right? There has to be a point where your money works for you. Like you're, don't, don't let your money be lazy, turn your money into, you know, put your money to work, have them be soldiers and have them make more money for you. And 
the second piece about that is if you make a million dollars, but you have to give half of it away, you didn't make a million dollars. You made half a million dollars. Mm. And the more money you make, unless you do something, the more taxes you're going to pay. So for me, it's, it was understanding that early on that taxes is everybody's number one expense, whether they, whether they know it or not, right? Mm. And um, if I can lower that expense for me and other people, I will help them become wealthy. Mm. Yeah. No, that's, uh, it's important. And I think it's one of the, I was even seeing this on your account um, as I was doing the research, is everyone avoids taxes. Yeah. Like it's kind of like the elephant in the room that you just... It, it just sucks that you even have to pay it and you just avoid it. You're like, I don't even want to think about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm curious for the person that's in their job, because I remember when you, you told me this um, in the pre-call and the call that we had a few, few days ago, and you were just talking about how like, kind of how the system and even America works. Mm -hmm. Like America's really built, especially the tax system, mm -hmm is built for entrepreneurs and investors. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you talk about that? Like even just in the foundations of this country, yeah. the total tax code is kind of geared towards a certain person. Well, so I think the easiest thing for people to conceptualize is that the tax code is not created to make you pay a lot of money in taxes. The, the, the government created the tax system because they wanted citizens to do certain things. And how do you persuade people? You either persuade them with fear or you persuade them with money, right? And, I, and the IRS decided to do both. So they're like, we're gonna create this system and if you do what we want you to do, you can keep your money. If you don't do what we want you to do, we're gonna take your money away from you and then we're gonna do what we wanna do with it. So everybody has a choice. And the reason that the tax code benefits entrepreneurs and investors is because entrepreneurs and investors do what the government wants them to do. For example, if I start a business, I, at some point, I'm going to hire people. For every person that I hire, that is one less person that the government has to put on unemployment. So I'm doing them a favor. I'm doing their job for them. For every job that I create, that's one less job that they have to create for somebody else. And so they're like, well, because you're, doing that, because you're doing that for us, we're going to give you tax breaks. From an investing standpoint, if I'm investing in the stock market, every dollar that I invest in, let's say Apple, Apple is now able to hire more people, right? So I'm, I'm a being a contributor to the economy. For every, if I'm a real estate investor, for every property that I purchase, that's one less property that the government has to um, develop. That's one less property that, that's one less thing that they have to worry about. That's one less person they have to put on um, governmental housing. So if you just do their job for them, they're like, we'll, we'll let you keep your money. But if you don't, if you're not a producer of, uh, if you're not producing for the economy, if you're not somebody of value, if you're not helping the, the government out, they're not going to let you keep your money. So it's not, it's not I think it's, just a, it's a perspective shift that taxes is nothing to be afraid of, that the tax system is something for you to learn so that you can take advantage of. And so I think when people understand that, they'll be able to get on the right side of how things work. Yeah, no, that's powerful. And I, I never, until you explained it, had never clicked to me like that, which is the tax system is just trying to incentivize like almost net value creators. Yes. Like if you're adding value into the economy, not just to you personally, personally yeah. but employing other people or investing in businesses that are employing other people, mm -hmm. we're going to incentivize and we're going to 
give you a benefit for that. Yeah, because all they're going to do with your money is that they're going to take your money and but so if if you're not creating any jobs, they're going to take your money and use that for welfare for somebody who doesn't have a job. If you're not investing, they're going to take your money and they're going to um, invest it on your behalf into the economy because you're not helping. So it's really about do you want to do the things that they want you to do or do you want them to take your money so they can do the things they want to do anyway? They're going to they're going to they're going to get it at the end of the day. But at least you will be in control this way. I would mm-hmm. rather control how my money is going to be allocated than letting somebody else control how my money is going to be allocated. Mm. You know, what? I just wrote down a word in my notes. I said identity. And here's the reason why I say that. I think when we say um, the tax system incentivizes entrepreneurs and investors, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that have a job right now that they just don't see themselves like that. In their mind, they've never really been, I'm the entrepreneur or I'm like an or even have the disposable income to be an investor. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious if someone's like, I'm not really, I'm not an entrepreneur. Like I have a job, I like my job, but I still want to, I still want to get some benefit with my taxes. I want to get smarter. I want to keep more of my money. Mm -hmm. I want to keep Uncle Sam out of my pockets. Is there anything that they can do where you can still be working a W-2 job, Mm -hmm. but be smart with when it comes to taxes? 1,000%. 1,000%. And I personally don't think that everybody needs to be an entrepreneur um, because it's, it's hard work. But what I do tell people is whatever your job is paying you to do from nine to five, someone else would pay you to, to do that same thing from five to nine, right? So if you are an assistant at a, at a company, right? And you work from nine to five, you make your money in your nine to five job. Once you get off work from five to nine, there are a bunch of entrepreneurs that can use a part-time assistant, right? So like, don't, first of all, don't let your job trick you into thinking that they're the only person that can pay you. Don't let your job trick you into thinking that you can only provide value when you're in that office, right? Whatever you're getting paid to do in your job, somebody else will pay you to do outside your job. Once you start making money outside of your W-2 job, you now are, um, you are open the gates of tax deductions because- when you have a business or even a side business for that matter, IRS code section 162A says, if you have a business, any expense that is ordinary and necessary to operate that business or side hustle is tax deductible to you. So if you have a side business and you're an assistant, for example, and you're using your cell phone to like call your, your, your entrepreneur boss, right? That cell phone is now ordinary and necessary for you to operate your side business. So now this phone bill that you cannot deduct in your taxes at all as, as a W-2 employee, you can now deduct a portion of it in your side business, right? So I think my, my advice to people would be whatever your job is paying you to do, find a way to make money outside your job so that you can turn a lot of your personal expenses into tax deductible business expenses. Mm. And that's like the first step of getting on the right side of how things work. Yeah. You know, actually, let's, because I think that's super interesting. Let's get deeper into the example. Okay. So, and let's even use the, the case that you gave, which is I'm an assistant in my nine to five, mm-hmm. and then I'm just going to assist a few other people from five to nine, mm-hmm. and that's going to be my business. So if I'm that person, I can literally just start, what, like an LLC, and then use that to do like these kind of gigs on the side. Yeah. And then how do I even figure out what I could use as an expense from doing that against my W-2 income. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. So uh, 
the first thing I want to dispel is most new entrepreneurs think that because their LLC is not set up yet, that they can't take advantage of the tax deductions or expenses that they use in their business. That is not true. Um, when you say, like when you walk out of your job and say, hey, I'm a business owner, your congratulations, welcome to entrepreneurship, right? You're automatically a sole proprietor, whether you file any paperwork or not. I want you to file an LLC though, because an LLC separates you, the person from the business. So if anything was to ever happen to you, you, you know, get sued in your business, nobody can touch you personally. So the first myth I want to dispel is whether you have your LLC or not, doesn't have anything to do with the amount of tax deductions or savings you get. Number two is now that you have the LLC in place and you're like conducting business, you get your first paycheck from that entrepreneur. What I need you to ask yourself is what expenses have I incurred since starting this business that is both ordinary and necessary to operate this business? So for example, like if you bought a new computer because you don't want to use your work computer to, for your side business, that computer qualifies as ordinary and necessary to operate your business. So therefore the money you pay for the computer will be tax deductible to you. If you have your, let's say you have a personal vehicle, but you using your personal vehicle to drive to your, your, your secondary boss's office to like assist him. Do you need your vehicle to get to that location? Yes. Is it ordinary and necessary? Yes. Okay. Then that means you can write off a portion of your vehicle as well. So, so you just need to like think about what expenses that you are incurring that is related to your business. And the beautiful part about it is once you start thinking this way, you realize that a lot of personal expenses that you're already paying for immediately become tax deductible business expenses. Once you start the business, mm-hmm. right? Your phone bill, you're already paying for once you start the business, you need your phone for your business. So you get the right off a portion of your cell phone bill, your, your, your automobile, you, you had it personally, you use it for your business. You get the right off a portion of your business, your internet. You already had that before you start the business. Do you need to run your business? Absolutely. That means you can write off a portion of your, your, your internet in your business. So like, it just like, and I personally had this epiphany at work because just because you're a CPA does not mean you know about taxes. First off, I learned this at work at my first job. And I'm like, what? Like, why, why didn't anybody teach me this? Like throughout my entire college career, I'm sitting at my desk and I learned about this rule. And I'm like, if I like start the side business, like you mean to my cell phone, my travel, my dining out, all these things that I cannot deduct while I'm working this W-2 job. But if I find a way to make money outside this job, all these things are now available to me. Mm. And that's when I was like, okay, I got to start my own business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's like, um, the key is that you're bringing down your taxable income. Yeah. And because you're bringing down your taxable income, it's lowering the amount of taxes that you pay. Yeah. And, and for so- like anybody doesn't understand, cause like, <laughs> it's funny. I was, um, so my sister is a, is a, is a business owner and you know, I'm her, I do her taxes. And, um, she called me like, like last year. She was like, yo bro, can I, can, can I write this off? And I was like, of course. She was like, okay, like, well, who do I write it to? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, I failed as a brother. But um, so just to like level set the conversation for everybody listening, the way it works is simple. If you have $100,000 income, you have to pay taxes on all $100,000 income, period. But if you have $100,000 income, but you have, let's say, $30,000 of write-offs, aka tax deductions, you only have to pay taxes on the $70,000 that's left, right? So the lower 
your taxable income also to lower your tax rate, right? So it's so you get the double benefit. So in a nutshell, the more write-offs that you get, the less taxes that you pay. Mm. So our job is to find ways to turn our expenses into business expenses and write them off and lower our tax bill. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, um, I'm curious to hear about your story. And, you know, I used the word identity earlier on and you said something interesting, which is um, one of the kind of like tricks that your job plays on you. And I understand because I've been in this moment as well, is that your value is purely in that nine to five. Mm -hmm. Like you've only been able to earn money from working that job. And so you just don't think that in that five to nine, I'm not going to be able to make any money. Like what value would I really be able to provide? And I think that thought loop even stops people from taking on side hustles. And so I'm curious for you, because it feels like there was a moment where you were like, okay, I'm going to start at least doing the side hustle. Like I'm at least going to start doing this. But what was giving you the confidence that you could even create value outside of the nine to five. Okay, quick break. 12 months ago, I left my full-time job to go all in on this podcast. And I remember at the time, one of the things that gave me the most anxiety was thinking about how to set up and start a business. And then number two is how to file and manage my taxes and accounting. And luckily, the sponsor of today's episode, Doula, helped me do that. And here's what they did. So I knew the CEO, a friend called Arjun, and he set me up with a free consultation with one of his business specialists, Riley. And Riley literally answered a mountain of questions. What sort of business should I set up? Should it be an LLC or should it be an S-Corp? Which business category should it be in? How do I do taxes? How do I think about expenses? All of these things. And a few weeks from now, they're actually going to help me file my first annual taxes. When I knew that we were recording this episode with Carter and it was going to be focused on taxes, I reached out to Arjun and I asked him, I said, that same free consultation, could you also give that to my audience? And he agreed. When you use the link in my description below, you will get a free consultation with one of Doula's business specialists. So I think this is going to be an incredible help for you exactly the way it was for me. Thank me later. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, so I'm a firm believer that you cannot be what you cannot see, right? So I never identify as an entrepreneur ever in my life. Again, like losing my parents early on gave me this mindset of like, I can't afford to like gamble or take risks because like I already like lost it all, right? Like I already lost everything. So like what, like I don't want to take any more risks. My life is risky as is. Um, actually a quick story on that, I think would be really helpful for your audience. So when I lost my father, so I lost my mother at 14 and dad at 16, I remember like crying on my ACT book because I was like trying to bury myself in my studies. And, um, I had this moment and it was like, yo, like I lost everything. Like mom's gone, dad's gone. I lost everything. and then I got out of nowhere, I don't know if it's God or the universe, like, I, 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 it was the big one, of the biggest epiphanies of my life. And it was like, yes, Carter, you lost everything. Which also means that you now have nothing to lose. And there's no, there's no one more dangerous on this planet 
that's than, more than someone who has nothing to lose, right? So I started operating as someone who has nothing to lose. I started attacking life as someone who has nothing to lose. And what it did for me is it let me know early on that there's a positive and negative side of everything, right? Mm. So yeah, you lost everything, but that now means that you have nothing to lose. So you're a very dangerous person. Um, I was upset because I had to grow up at 16. I still want to be a kid. Like I have to like figure out how to pay bills. I have to do all these things. So like, I was like, yo, I have to grow up before I'm ready. And then the flip side to that is, well, I now have a five year head start on everybody else my age because most people don't grow up till they're 21. Mm-hmm. So like I actually have a five year head start. How much can I do? How, how far ahead could I get of all my peers if I have this five year head start on them? And for me, and I think for anybody listening to that, like you have a choice to let your situation make you or break you. That's on you, right? The situation already happened. Why not use the positive side of the situation to get you to the destination that you need to be at, mm. you know? So long winded way of answering your question, but I think that's, that's very valuable for anybody listening. Um, but for me, I believe that you cannot be what you cannot see. So I started hanging around one of my, my only friend who was an entrepreneur, right? Like when my, when my cousin came in the room and put that bug in my ear and I'm like, yo, can I really like do this? The first thing I did was uh, hit up my friend Jeff. He was another uh, accountant who like had his own practice. Only person I knew, only person I knew that was an entrepreneur. And I went to I went over his house every day after work, and just like sat there and talked to him. I'm like, so you mean like you just wake up and you work on your own time? People pay you. Like I just had to see it right because <laughs> I, I I now know that if you want to change, the fastest way to change is by changing your environment. Mm-hmm. point blank period um so once i saw him doing it once i physically saw somebody achieving what i wanted to achieve that made me think it was possible and once i thought it was possible i was able to like all right if he can do it he puts his shoes on just like me he you know works as hard as i do i can achieve it as well and i think if more people put themselves around people that are already doing something that's the fastest track to actual change Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Yeah. You know, I have to give you a lot of respect because we, we haven't known each other for the longest time, but I've spoken to you a few times and the amount of like positivity, just uplift, just I'm going to go and get it. No excuses is incredibly impressive. And then when you add on to that, the context of you lost your mom at 14 and your dad at 16, it's like, it's just so impressive. And so like, I, I need to give you the credit for that. And you know what? I've spoken, and I think we've all spoken to this person, the person who they can give you like a laundry list. Like they can give you the longest list of excuses of why they can't achieve a certain thing. Oh, it's because my dad did this or my mom left or I grew up in, like they can give you every reason in the book why they cannot achieve a certain outcome. And one of the things, even when I reflect on my own life, is we have like these certain like turning point moments. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that happen to us and it can either go this way or it can go this way. And like you said, you get to decide. But I'm curious, for someone that literally had, if you wanted to, Mm -hmm. you had every excuse built in to not make something of your life, but you didn't, you made a different decision. When you reflect on that, 
and you really take it down to the root, down to the core, what made you go this way instead of that way? Because I, regardless of what happens, I still have to live this life, right? And I think for me, what helped is, yeah, I, I can, you know, cry a river. I can tell you that I lost everything. I tell you I lost my dad. I tell you I lost my mom. And you could have a pity party for me. Cool. But tomorrow morning, I still have to wake up and live this life, right? So for me, it's, I know that there are people who had it worse and have done better, period. There are people who weren't, hadn't had luxury of being born in America. There are people that didn't have luxury of even knowing their parents. So I know that there are people who had it worse and, done, and have done better. So if I have to live this life, why not live it the best that I can possibly live it? And I believe that we all have, we all own what we do with our, with our life. Well, regardless of whatever situation happens, what are you going to do about it? Like, that's the, that's the question you got to ask. What are you going to do? Because no matter how many people you tell, no matter how many excuses you have, you still have to wake up tomorrow and live a life. So why not live a life that you're proud to live if you have to live it anyway? So um, I just encourage anybody who's like been through anything let it, let it make you and not break you. Like turn your pain into profit. I get paid to tell my story now. That's like, how dope is that? Right. There are going to be kids that listen to this story. Like, Oh, like he got through that. Okay. Bet. I'm gonna get through this. And so I actually feel like it's a, believe it or not, advantage to go through tragic things early because like, bro, I lost my parents. You think I'm scared to start a business? Like, you think I'm scared to invite, like, like I've already been battle tested. I know who I am when my back is against the wall. I think a lot of people's problem is, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship, they don't know who they are or who they're going to be when things get tough. Therefore, they don't want, they don't want to meet that person. I got to know who I am when things get tough. So I'm already good. So I think that um, having disadvantages is really a huge advantage. Mm. If you ask me. Yeah. It's like uh, the word that I thought of is just like unleashed. It's like, I don't know. I think for, I know definitely for me, or for a lot of people, that is the nightmare scenario. Like if you were to imagine what was the worst thing that could happen in your life, mm -hmm. that is probably it, losing your parents. And so it's like, once that's already happened, then what? Like there's nothing really to be afraid of. It's unleashed. It's, yeah. So then you can operate at your highest capacity, highest capability, and you realize that like, the real biggest risk in life is taking no risk at all. Like, and can I give you something real quick that I think would be helpful for you? Sure. So like, oh, this is, this is good. So uh, shout out to Alex Homozy, um for uh, his interview with Chris. We talked about this before. Chris Williamson. Chris Williamson, dude, like still I get goosebumps thinking about the interview. And one thing that they said in that interview was that most people make decisions based off best case scenarios. Right. So if you're choosing between staying at your job and leaving your job, your most people decision making process is okay, if I stay at my job, what's the best case scenario? I get promoted. I have security, so I don't have to worry about a paycheck. I get a retirement plan and I'm like, I might I'll be able to retire at 60, 65, right? That's the best case scenario. Best case scenario of an entrepreneur is like, oh, if the business works out, 
I get to make money. I love what I do. I, I own my time. I own my freedom. And like, that's best case scenario. But a, a different way to think about things is what they said was choosing your regrets. Right. And what I mean by that is instead of looking at the best case scenario in a situation, look at the worst case scenario. So if I stay at this job, what's the worst case scenario here? I never reached my, I never reached my potential. I am unhappy. I'm overweight. I get to my deathbed and ask myself the question, have I left my life wrong? Right. That's the worst case scenario. Worst case, case scenario, worst case scenario about being a business owner is you try the business, it fails, you lose everything, you go into debt, and now you have to get a job to like pay off the debt and start saving again, right? Which ironically, you're already living your nightmare because you're already at the <laughs> job, which is crazy. But the, the point is like, which regret is worse? Hmm. Is it being on your deathbed and realizing you never really lived? Or is it like having to pay off some debt? So when you think of, when you think of it from that standpoint, like which regret can't you afford to take? And for me, I can't afford to be on my deathbed and, and ask myself the questions of have I left my life wrong? So therefore I'm taking this decision because I can't, I can't live with that regret. And I think if more people start looking at their decisions based on choosing their regrets, it would change everything. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Cause I'm reading um, the everything store, which is a biography about Jeff Bezos and like building Amazon. He's the founder of Amazon. Um, and at like 30 years old, he's at this company, he's at, I think it's a hedge fund in New York, in Manhattan, earning a ton of money, like excelling in his career. Like by any metric, his career is going perfectly. Like great job, uh, great manager, great boss, all of this stuff. At the time, he's seeing how fast the internet is accelerating. And he has this idea for the everything store, like a store on the internet that just sells everything. The Walmart of the internet, essentially. And that sounds like a no-brainer speaking in 2024, but in the 90s or whenever he did this, it was not a no-brainer. And he goes through this decision of like, should I quit this really cushy job to build this internet business? And this is when people don't really believe in the internet like that. Mm -hmm. Like people think it's a fad, like just something that's going to wear off. And he did exactly what you said, which is that he calls it the regret minimization framework which is what decision will I regret the least? So if I fast forward 50 years and I'm 80 years old and on my deathbed, which decision would I have regretted the least? And then when he thought it like that, it was a no brainer, starts Amazon. It's now one of the most valuable companies in the world. And it's, it's the reason that that framework works is because as human beings, we're naturally, uh, we naturally have loss aversion. Like people would, like, you know, we, I forgot what the stat is if you go to Vegas, but people are twice as likely w not wanting to lose than they are wanting to win. Mm. So we're naturally like focused on like not losing. So if you look at, if you, if you, if you focus on the regret, it's going to amplify the decision that you know you need to make. And that's, that, that was a game changer for me. And I know it could be a game changer for everybody listening. Yeah. You know what? So let's, um, let's go here. The okay. person that's made that decision and they're like, okay, I'm going all in. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave the job. Um, and they've done it in a smart way. And I'm going to go all in on the business. Mm -hmm. I remember for me personally, one of the things that gave me, well, I think when you're leaving your job to do a business, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that give you anxiety. 
<laughs> one of the things. One of the everything, things. <laughs> dude. Everything. And I think it's important that we talk about that because like social media is great, but it definitely has its 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 negative impacts. Yeah. People think that just entrepreneurs is all sunshine and rainbows. Like I'm gonna start the business, the clients are gonna roll it. It's not how it works, right? <laughs> it's massive anxiety. There's a lot of stress. But it, it can work out if you work it. But I, yeah, we just have to dispel that myth. Like, it's, yeah. not, it's not easy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and you know what's funny? So, like, one of the things that gave me anxiety was taxes. Uh-huh. And I did, it's funny when I was watching your videos and I was like, oh, yeah, like, I was that person. <laughs> like, I just avoided, I was like, the tax season is like in a year or something. Like, yeah. I have some time. Yeah. Um, I just completely avoided it. And so even for me personally and then for the audience, I'm like, Let's get into if I'm a business owner and I want to build the perfect foundation for my company to deal with taxes and to do taxes the right way. Mm-hmm. Like you said in the beginning, keep Uncle Sam out of my pocket mm-hmm. and I want to do it correctly. What are some of the things that I need to be able to do that? And so here's where I want to start. And let's start right in the foundation. I think when a lot of people think about starting their company, all of these questions come up of, sole proprietorship versus LLC Mm -hmm. versus S Corp, like all of these different ways of setting up a business. What, as the expert, as someone who's actually, that does this, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that I should be thinking about when that conversation comes up? Yeah. So it's actually a really simple framework um, that I, that I teach. So, cause everybody here is like LLC, S Corp, C Corp, where do I start? It's very simple. So when you start the business, you're already a sole proprietor, whether you do nothing or, you know, whether you sell, start selling or not. So you're already a sole proprietor. You don't have to fill out any paperwork. Being a sole proprietor is okay until it's, you're ready to start selling your first product or service. So while you're still thinking of the business ideal and what you're going to do, a sole proprietor is fine. Before you make your first sale, you want to set up the LLC because the LLC is going to protect your personal assets from your business. So before you make that first, to sell that first glass of lemonade, set up your LLC, set up your EIN, get a business bank account. And we can talk more about that, like how many you should have if you want. But an LLC is going to be a perfect entity for you until you start making over $40,000 of net income. So if you have $100,000 of revenue, $30,000 of expenses, you have $70,000 of net income. So once you start making over $40,000 in net income, you want to upgrade your LLC to what's called an S corporation. The reason you want to do the S corporation at that point is because S corporation is going to save you a lot of money in taxes, especially self-employment taxes. And then S corp, you can really rock that out until you're making about two and a half, three million dollars in profit, in which a C corporation might make sense, but it's all situation based. So that's the framework. A sole proprietor before you get started, a sole proprietor while you're still thinking about the business idea, a LLC before you start the business. A S corp, once your business start making over $40,000 $40, in net income, and then a C corp, once you get two, $3 million in profit, it might make sense. Mm. But like that, from, a fund, from a fundamental standpoint, that's the timeline. So you can see where you're at in the timeline and then know what entity your business needs to be. And if you're not, then you need to change to that structure that will best suit your business. Can you talk about the, the limited liability part of the LLC? Mm-hmm. I think that's something I know for me, definitely, that kind of went over my head when people talk about limited liability. You're not personally liable. Uh, talk about that. Yeah. So if um, 
you have a LLC and you sell lemonade and somebody chokes on a lemonade seed and tries to sue you, right? And let's say the business only has $10,000 inside the business. They can sue you, they can, but they can sue the business, and, but they can't get any more than the $10,000 that's in the business. Your personal savings, your home, your cars, your investments, that's all safe because you, you the person, column, have a limited liability for whatever happens in the company. Mm. Right. So that is what a limited liability uh, company does. And that's why it's so beneficial, because. Believe it or not, people sue people. Right. And you want to make sure that all the things you work for your whole life personally is not at risk um, for your business activities. Yeah. It's protecting your downside. Yes. Protecting your downside. OK. You know, one of the things, actually, I remember going uh, doing so much research about this mm. when it came to setting up my LLC was where to set up the business and mm. you'll hear some people be like do it in wyoming because the state tax mm -hmm. is lower there in nevada and yeah. yeah all that stuff yeah um how do i think about that of like where to set it up yes it's very important so you have to set up your business where your business does business period if your business operates in new york you need to set up your LLC in New York. I don't care. Like, I don't care that Nevada doesn't have any state taxes. You cannot set up your entity in Nevada and run it from New York to avoid New York state taxes. That is illegal. So we have to be careful where we set up our businesses because it either needs to be where our business does business or where we, or where we reside if those two places are not the same. So... Number one, don't set up a business somewhere just to avoid state, state taxes if you don't operate there. Now, in a world where we have digital businesses, it's a little bit more ambiguity because if you sell, if you have a podcast and you record only online, well, your business state is wherever you spend the most of your time, right? And if you spend the most of your time in Nevada, then you're, then you're good to go. Um, so... But I, my common misconception is we cannot set up businesses in different states that we don't operate in. That's illegal. Mm. Yeah. I think that that word illegal is something that it also prevents people from starting companies because it's like this, this fear of, okay, I don't want to be in violation of this and then end up in jail or end up with the <laughs> government like yeah, harassing yeah. me. Um, can you talk a bit about the, because I, I think this has been a huge learning curve for me. Uh, personally this year is managing your money as an entrepreneur yeah. and even just keeping things separate mm -hmm. where oh, it's like, dude. you know, you're dude. doing certain things from your, you're not doing certain things on your personal checking yeah. account and you mm -hmm. have the right accounts and bookkeeping and things set up. So I'm avoiding the scenario <laughs> of going to that jail. Yeah. So you want to know something <laughs> very interesting that, um, that most people don't know. So we talked about this limited liability company, right? And having your LLC set up and to protect yourself. But you can have your LLC set up, but if you're operating your business out of your personal account and vice versa, and you're like co-mingling funds, if somebody wants to sue you and they find out that you're operating your business this way, they can do what's called piercing the corporate veil, which would mean that they would dismiss your LLC in court and allow the person to sue you personally because you're not operating your entity as if it was your own entity. So what I tell people to do is like, stop operating your business out of your personal account. 
that's childish, that's ghetto. We're not doing that, right? Like when you set up your business, set up your business bank account, right? All of your income and expenses should be coming out of your business bank account so that you can track things, right? A bookkeeper is probably one of the most important things that we can have as entrepreneurs because you can say you spend $20,000 on equipment, but if your books don't show it, then it won't stand up in an audit, right? So one of the most important things a, book, a, a, a new small business owner can do is, is number one, set up their proper entity. Number two, get a business bank account and operate your business out of that business bank account. And three, have a bookkeeper or do the bookkeeping yourself, but you need to be able to like organize your expenses because you only can write off what you can prove, mm. right? If you have $30,000 in travel, that's 100% deductible. But if you can't calculate the travel or calculate the expenses, then you can't take the deduction. So um, it's very important that we just stay organized, stay organized early because that's just a habit, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you can't manage your money making $10,000, you're not going to be able to manage your money making $100,000. You're not going to be able to manage your money making a million dollars. So um, organization is important. And once you do that, you can start really seeing like, the the you can start taking advantage of one tax strategy to actually see where your money is going in the business if that mm. makes sense yeah you know actually can you talk more about um like the process of actually filing taxes and what's happening and and here's what i mean with that um my stepdad actually this year has helped me a ton mm. just in terms of i didn't know the way that it worked is essentially you're filing the taxes mm -hmm. and then really the reason why you're doing all of this bookkeeping and like accounting and all this stuff mm -hmm. is so that there's a record of transactions mm -hmm. that if you were to get audited, mm -hmm. you can then tell the government, okay, like here's everything that I said that I did. I didn't even get that it even worked that way when I was <laughs> starting this out. Like I didn't really even get what the, you, you hear this all the time with like um, really wealthy people sometimes. They're getting audited. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't even really know what that, what that means. Yeah. Like, can you, can you explain that yeah. process? Yeah. And like what, what I tell people is that is an audit is nothing to be scared of, right? An audit is very simple, similar to going to the dentist. If you, if you go to the dentist and you haven't been brushing your teeth, you haven't been flossing, it's going to be a scary visit. But if you go to the dentist, you've been brushing your teeth, you've been flossing, you've been taking care of yourself, you don't mind. So if an audit happens and you haven't been tracking your expenses, you haven't been doing bookkeeping, it's going to be really scary. But if you, an audit happens and all your paperwork is together, you give them one document, the audit's over, mm -hmm. right? So it's just a matter of handling business on the front end so we don't have to worry about anything on the back end. And once the, the, here's the beauty about being a business owner, right? You can literally turn your entire lifestyle into a tax deduction if you know what you're doing, right? Because the question that most people ask me is, well, Carter, is this tax deductible? It's a bad question. The question you should be asking is, Carter, how is this tax deductible? Or how can I make this tax deductible? So for, for, can, I, can I give you an example? Go for it. Okay, so um, let's say you were like, about to go to Miami for the weekend, right? It's cold in New York. You want to go to Miami for that the weekend. That might week. be real soon. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You, you want to go to Miami for the weekend. You're going for a party. You're going for your homie's birthday party. 
Cool. That's a 100% personal trip. Can't write that off, right? But if you came to me like and say, Carter, like, is there any way I can turn this exp- this personal expense into, into this personal trip into a business trip? I'm like, Colin, of course. Let me tell you what to do. So first of all, I want you flying to Miami and from Miami on weekdays. Don't fly on weekends. I'll tell you why in a second. So I want you flying into Miami on Friday, out of Miami on Monday. Okay. Then on the weekdays that you're in Miami, which is Friday and Monday, I want you to find some type of business activity. So on Friday, shoot a podcast, right? That would count as business activity for that day. On Monday, let's say you take a, uh, a business partner out to dinner or take an entrepreneur, a friend out to dinner. Y'all talk about business. That's now a business dinner, right? So that and what counts as business activity. So now you have business activity on Friday. You have business activity on Monday. What the IRS says is that that, that whole trip now, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday is now a 100% tax deductible expense because you had to be there for business on Friday. You had to be there for business on Monday. It doesn't make sense to go home on the weekend. So we'll even allow whatever money you spend on the weekend to be tax deductible as well. So now the flight to Miami is 100% deductible. The flight back, 100% deductible. The hotel every night, 100% deductible. And any meals that you had talking business is 50% deductible. So we just turned this... $2,000 trip to Miami that was personal into your business expense, which will lower the income of your business, which will lower the taxes that you pay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. 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 And you know, the thing actually I've realized uh, this year, and it's been, it's been a process and it's been a journey and like an evolution for me personally, is this, it's actually a mindset shift. Yes. You have to start to think like a business. Yes. And I think when you're starting out, you're kind of just like, Oh, I'm just doing this thing and like trying to see if it works yeah. and like someone will pay me for it. Yeah. And slowly you just have to start thinking like a business and tracking things. And because when you're just personally spending, you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to make a record. I'm going to get the receipts yeah. from the, from the cashier for this. Um, it's a mindset. You need to think like a business. You know what? One of the things, and this has been an ongoing thing for me this year is when you're, when you're in business, there's a certain mindset you have in the beginning, or at least I had, which is I'm almost just trying to, I'm trying to see if the thing that I want to do is going to work. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to keep my expenses low. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to conversations around, do I need an accountant? Do I need to get a bookkeeper or can I just get the QuickBooks software? Or uh, wh- Where do you kind of fall on that? Is there a certain... Should I just have an accountant off the jump? Or is there a certain point in the journey where, okay, you're making, I don't know, maybe it's 40,000 in net profit and it now makes sense to bring on an actual bookkeeper and a accountant, like hiring people to help me with kind of the tax side of my business. Mm-hmm. When does that make sense? So I advise uh, business owners that once you start the business, that's the last time you're doing your taxes, right? Like, like, you will make more, you will cost yourself more money in mistakes than it will cost you to hire somebody to, to do your taxes. So once you go from employee to business owner, you're no longer doing your own taxes. So I, I recommend you at least have an accountant to file your taxes. Now, when do you need a tax strategist is a different question because there, there's a difference between an accountant and a tax strategist. An accountant is somebody that just files your taxes, right? The tax repair. 
attack strategies is somebody that you meet with regularly to talk about strategies on how to negate your taxes, right? And they're gonna cost a little bit more. So I think that starting out as a business owner, everybody needs at least a tax prepared to file their taxes, make sure that the reports get done properly. Um, as well as a bookkeeper, I mean, book, uh, bookkeepers probably need an early hire as well. It's a couple hundred dollars a month, but again, Without that, you don't even know, like, how can you know where your business, how can you know the, the health of your business if you don't know the numbers, right? You don't know how much you're spending on marketing. You don't know how much you're spending on client acquisition. You don't know how much money you're spending on, on software. So you can't even know what the next step is without a bookkeeper. So I think an accountant and bookkeeper is something you should start off with, or at least get the QuickBooks software. Because if you get QuickBooks, dude, like you can do most of the bookkeeping yourself. Because when you swipe the card, the expense automatically gets uploaded to QuickBooks in real time. All you have to do is hit accept or reject if the line item is correct. So you really can handle that on your own at the beginning. Um, but I would say hire an accountant when you first start a tax preparer at the minimum, do your own bookkeeping using QuickBooks or whatever software until you can hire a bookkeeper. And then attack, like once you start earning, like once you're, once you're profitable in the business, like you should get a tax strategist because a, a good tax strategist can wipe out $100,000 in income easily. Yeah. You know, here's where, it, here's where it gets difficult. And I'm learning this more and more as I get familiar and more mm -hmm. educated on it. A lot of this stuff, how do I say this the right way? It's kind of open to interpretation. Okay. So a, one accountant might be like, oh yeah, you can kind of do it this way, or this could be a way that you could lower your taxes. Then another accountant's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> but, but they're more risk averse. And this one is a bit more... Um, like they're willing to take a risk. And so one of the things for me is like, what makes a good accountant? Like if I'm, if I'm speaking with accountants and I'm thinking who I want to take forward, how, what should I be looking at in deciding, like this is someone that should come on board and help me with my business mm. and I'm not going to land in jail <laughs> or being getting audited every year. Like how do I even deduce, like this is someone who's, who's good at what they do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult situation to navigate for a lot of people, at least that's what they tell me. So when it comes to risk aversion or not, right? I, I believe in, we all fear what we don't understand, right? So in my personal opinion, a super risk adverse accountant is somebody that hasn't studied enough because they don't know, they, they're, not, they're not confident in their own knowledge enough to see what this will stand in an audit. Right. So they're, they're just like, I don't want to do it because I'm not sure. So you want to find somebody that knows enough so that they're not fearful of everything that you want to do. So I would say number one is it's just industry expertise. Right. So like not only do you want them to be good, you want them to be good at what you do. Right. So if you want to hire an accountant, you want an accountant that's used to online service based businesses, not somebody that's like been doing real estate for the last 20 years. They're not going to know everything. So number one, you want to make sure they're knowledgeable. Number two, you want to make sure they're industry specific. They have industry specific knowledge around your business. The third thing is that, are they proactively telling you what you can do, right? Not do you have to call them to get updates? They should be proactively reaching out to you, telling you what you can and cannot do. And the, one of the biggest things you have to ask yourself is, does your accountant work for you or do they work for the IRS, right? If they're telling you everything you can't do, they work for the IRS. If they're telling you everything you can do, then they're actually working for you, mm. right? 
and a really good CPA, a really good tax strategist will work for free. And what I mean by that is they will never cost you more money than they save you. I believe as a CPA that whatever your client is paying you, you should be able to, to save them that save money in taxes or more. Right. So I think that if you follow those four things, making sure they have industry knowledge uh, specific to you, making sure they know their tax strategy is not fearful, making sure they work for you and not the IRS and making sure they reach out to you proactively to give you strategies about new things that just came out. Like we just got a new law about like the EV tax credit. Like they should be hitting you up like, yo, do you want an EV car? It could save you $7,500. This is something you should be thinking about. So that, that is how you like, in my opinion, discern who's good and who's not. Hmm. Because you know what? And I, I even think through this sometimes. I think especially when you're starting or you're in those first few years of business, everything, you're running everything lean. Yeah. So if you're investing into something, if you're hiring someone, if you're paying someone, they almost need to be like an immediate value. Yeah, like, 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 I need to see my ROI immediately, yeah. bro. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where I can see for a lot of people, the whole tax thing is something where it's like, okay, how can I just spend the minimum here just so I can get by? Yeah. And what you said is interesting around like, actually, if you have a good accountant or a good CPA, they're basically working for free because they're saving you so much money that mm -hmm. it's actually a value add. But I'm, I'm curious for the person that's like, oh, I just want to spend the minimum, <laughs> which I sometimes fall into that yeah. category. Um, is there something where you're like, I don't know, maybe this is a bit too cheap. If, you're, if your CPA is quoting you this, this could be a bit. Here's some life advice. Um, experts are expensive, right? Experts are expensive, but amateurs will cost you a fortune. And usually... We think we're, we're, we think we're saving money by hiring someone cheap, but because they don't know what they're doing, they're actually going to cost us more money in the long run. Right? Mm -hmm. So hiring experts for things that really matter in your business is going to be how you scale. Like you can hire a, a sucky salesperson for cheap, but they're not going to make you any money or you can hire somebody that's expensive, but they're going to bring you in revenue. So I think that's just a, New entrepreneurs need to like think about that. Like when you're hiring somebody, it's going to cost you in their lack of production. So you kind of might as well pay on the front end so you can get that better, that, that, that better production. I, I don't know if I have a price, like don't hire a CPA that costs X amount of dollars, <laughs> but do like, you, you know, you, ha you have to have discernment. You have to like sit down with them and say, Hey, like, can you save me money? Mm. And, they, and they should be looking at the situation like, dude, I can save you $20,000 easily. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you, you, your cost is 7,000. You can save me 20. I'm getting a two, almost two and a half ROAS on my, on my investment. Let's go. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting just being, um, just doing a business is like your mindset and it's kind of going from like a scarcity mindset to a more of an yeah. abundance mindset, but it can feel like the toughest thing because it's like, we're not a multi-million dollar company yet, or we're not doing 10 million plus in revenue. And it's, and it's like, am I gonna almost make a bet on myself and the business that I trust my judgment that this is the right person. And so if I invest in them, then it's gonna lead to this greater net outcome in the future. But that can be, it can just be so difficult when you're in that moment where like, 
you're kind of counting the pennies and making sure everything stacks up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe that if you play small, you stay small, right? And I'm not telling you to like bet the business on one person, mm. but the business can never grow outside of your decision making, right? So like, if you want to one day be a big business, you got to start thinking big, baby. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, but it's a mindset shift, right? And like, I've been in entrepreneurship for six years, dude. And I think that like, again, the best thing you can do, get around higher level people and like hear their conversations. Like I remember my, my first, my, like I was stuck at $10,000 a month for, um, I, I, was, I think I was trying to crack $10,000 a month. That's what it was. I, was I, could, I couldn't crack it for the sake of my life. I went to a conference and I sat around business owners that, was, that were making $100,000 a month. And they were having these $100,000 a month conversations. And I'm sitting there like not saying it. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can't even fathom what they're talking about. But then after the conference, that very next month, I hit over $10,000 that month. Nothing changed in my business, but just my perspective and mindset on how much I thought $10,000 was dramatically changed, right? So um, to your point, as a business owner, we have to start thinking big at some point. The easiest way to do that is start getting around people that think bigger than you. Mm -hmm. And then it'll happen automatically. Yeah. And it, and it kind of, it's interesting because I'm going through this process now and it shows up everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like even how you think about as the CEO or the person leading the company, how you think about your time. Oh. Like certain tasks you just actually shouldn't be working on. MWAs. Yeah. Minimum wage activities. Yeah. You got to stop doing those, man. You got to stop doing those. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just comes in, in everything. You know, what? there was something that you, um, that you said that I, I wanted you to just add more color to it, which is the biggest mistake entrepreneurs make is not understanding the, the tax deductions they are allowed to have. Mm -hmm. And so we spoke about kind of like the Miami trip mm -hmm. example. But I know there's like so many more examples of like things that could actually be business expenses, mm -hmm. uh, education, the solo 401k, mm -hmm. donating to charities, like all this stuff, which could lower your taxable income. Can you just talk about some of the, what are some of the biggest ways that people could lower their taxable income right now? Yeah, I'll say the most common ways. Like, again, yeah, I'm not trying to make anybody spend, like my goal with helping you save on taxes is to not necessarily make you go spend more money just to save on taxes, right? My goal is to like show you things you're already paying for that could start helping you. So for example, um, home office, right? If you have a business and you have a dedicated space in your home where you operate that business, you are able to take advantage of what's called the home office deduction, which will allow you to write off a portion of your rent every single month. So let's say that you have a home and your basement is your home office. Let's say your basement represents 25% of your home, right? If your rent is $4,000 a month, but your, uh, your, 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 your home is 25% represented by your business, 4,000 times 25%, that's $1,000 a month you get for the home office deduction. $1,000 times 12, it's $12,000. So now you get a $12,000 tax deduction for working from home. You didn't spend any more money. You already were paying rent regardless. 
So now your business gets to allocate a little bit of that rent and the IRS will give you a subsidy, AKA a tax deduction for you being a, for you working from home. So like that's an easy lift that anybody and everybody can do. Um, uh, another thing that most people, another strategy that most people miss out on is the fact that you can invest and not pay the IRS. So if you have a business, you can set up what's called, because most people, like, here's the reality. Most people don't leave jobs because of health insurance and their 401ks, period. And most people stay like, literally 70% of people stay at jobs that they hate because of health insurance and their retirement plan. If you have a business, you can get your own health insurance. And when you're a business owner, your health insurance premiums are tax deductible to you. So if you're paying $3,600 a year for health insurance, you now get a $3,600 tax deduction for your health insurance. If you're not leaving your job because you don't, you don't, you know, a retirement plan is the case. As a business owner, you can set up your own retirement plan, which is called a solo 401k. In 2024, I believe, you can put $69,000. You can invest $69,000 in your solo 401k and you will get a $69,000 tax deduction for investing in your future. So there, that's like I tell people all the time, the more you invest, the less you pay the IRS, if you do it the right way. So these are just like a few simple things like that people, again, don't have to spend any more money than they're already spending, but are able to save taxes simply by implementing the strategy. Yeah. You know what I'm curious about is like, there gets a certain point in your, in your business where in the beginning, a lot of the times you're just working on it yourself and it's just you. And then you're starting to get a bit of validation and things are starting to work. And now your time is more valuable and you want to scale what you're doing. You want to bring on additional people. And I know from a tax perspective, there's, a, there's different implications of that if you're hiring contractors mm -hmm. versus full-time workers. If I just want to start thinking smart from a tax perspective, can you kind of just Detail some of the nuances of me hiring a contractor versus hiring someone full time who's like a salaried worker. Like, what does that mean from a tax perspective? That's, that's a great question. I think that most people don't understand the difference. So um, if you hire an employee and you pay them like W-2, right? You have to pay them what you owe them. So, so let's say you, you'll give them $100,000 salary just for ease of numbers, right? Let's say you pay them $100,000 salary. You have to pay them that but you also have to pay their half of self-employment taxes, which is 7.665%. So essentially you would have to pay them the $100,000 that you owe them plus another 7,650 as their portion of taxes. So you have to come out of pocket for that, mm. right? But if you pay somebody as a contractor, you don't have to pay their, their side of self-employment taxes. Meaning if you, if you owe somebody $100,000, you only have to pay them $100,000. So you actually save, in this example, $7,600 simply by paying somebody differently, right? With that being said, there are, there are certain rules that, with the Department of Labor that you have to know. Like if, if somebody like only works for you and they work full time for you and like you control all their actions, you have to hire them as an employee. But like you work with somebody part time, in my opinion, why would you ever hire that person as an employee? You have to pay 7% more then you have to pay them by, by paying them as an employee versus a contractor. So new business owners, and it, I'm speaking for me, 
I didn't have my first full-time employee until I, had, until I made over six figures. Everybody was a contractor because I just didn't want to pay that extra tax for no reason. Mm. So I think starting out business owners, if you can get away with hiring contractors um, for the time being until you're ready to bring somebody on full-time. And that, is that nuance the same whether they're based in the US versus not? So like if I hire someone, they're working full-time, but they're in the Philippines, yeah. I'm still paying the taxes on... No, no, no because you, if they're international, you don't have to... You will pay it, but you'll get reimbursed in your tax return mm -hmm. for paying that person that salary, right? Um, depending on what country they live in, it gets really complicated. We talk international taxes, but um, hiring somebody overseas, like you can pay them as a contract and not have to worry about their self-employment taxes. Mm. Um, so it works similar, but like it, I, if I were, if I had somebody working, uh, um, overseas and I could pay them as a contractor, I would. Yeah. You know, one, one other thing I, I want to talk about, which has been Dude, like, what, I'm, we're here. What's up? <laughs> talk to me. Yeah. Another thorn in my yeah, side. Yeah. Okay. This is a <laughs> column. Ask it for a friend. Holla at your boy. Okay? Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent is talk to me about like the payment processes, mm. right? Because I feel like I've, I've gone, I've done so many like Stripe, PayPal, Venmo, Zelle. And like, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm almost, sometimes when I'm doing like Venmo or Zelle, I'm like, this feels too easy for even to really be a business transaction. Can you kind of talk to me through, are there certain payment processes where it's like, if you want to be safe in, this is a business transaction when you do it through here, are there certain payment processes like it's just easier to use PayPal, for example? Like, what would you what would you say to that? Uh, absolutely, I don't think that anybody should be using like Cash App or Zelle for their business. Let me tell you why. If you pay somebody over six hundred dollars, you're technically supposed to issue them a ten ninety nine the next year for how much money you paid them. Right. So if you paid somebody, let's say $20,000 via Zelle, you have to, you're supposed to send that person a 1099 the next year for how much you paid them because the IRS wants to tax that money. Right. So they want to, they want to tax that $20,000 on that person you paid, but if they don't know about the $20,000, they can't tax it. So what they're going to do is they're going to penalize you for not telling them. So then there's, if you don't file the 1099, there's penalties for that. But if you pay somebody through PayPal, PayPal will send the 1099 on your behalf in a form of what's called a 1099K, right? So paying somebody through valid payment processors like PayPal, um, you know, Stripe, whatever, they will, they, they're responsible for sending that person to ten, ten, the, the 1099. So it's one thing off your plate and one less thing you'll get fined for. Mm. So that's why when you're paying somebody, you want to use legitimate payment processors because they, the burden of proof of income is on them and not on you. Yeah. You know what? Let's say that I'm making, you, you mentioned like you went to this conference, this mastermind, mm. and at the time you're struggling to make $10,000 a month mm -hmm. and all of those people in that environment mm -hmm. are making over a hundred thousand a month. Which is so, ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. let's just fast forward to that. I'm making a hundred thousand dollars a month in my business. Mm -hmm. And you even mentioned the switch of going from an LLC to an S Corp. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious if you were just to lay out, take my a hundred thousand dollar a month business. Mm -hmm. And let's just say that from a tax perspective, 
I'm running things perfectly. Okay. I'm using the right payment processes. Mm -hmm. I got the right staff in place, accountants, bookkeepers. Um, everything is correct. If you were to just take me behind the curtain, behind the scenes of a company that's doing it right at that level, what does it look like? That's a good question. So first of all, at that level, you need more than one business account, period, right? Um, you probably need an income account for all the money to come in. You probably need a separate expense account for all the money to come out. You need a separate tax account to be uh, setting aside money for taxes. You need a separate account for payroll. Just so you can, like, if you don't, if at that level, if you don't give your money a destination it, or where it needs to go, it will run away from you, right? Mm -hmm. At that level. So number one, you probably have multiple bank accounts to organize your money. Number two, at that level, you're making quarterly tax payments, right? So every quarter, whatever money you save in this tax account, you're sending it to the IRS quarterly because they're going to want their money on time. Um, you're also, so you're getting monthly what's called P&L statements, which is basically every month you're going to get a statement that shows, all right, I made $100,000 this month, but where do all the expenses go? And then what's my net profit, right? So I'm making $100,000 a month, but I'm keeping 60, mm. right? So you want to know what your bottom line is because at that level, you need like thorough tax planning. So if we get halfway through the year and you have a half a million dollars of profit as your tax strategist, I need to start thinking about what strategies, how can we eliminate this $500,000 by the end of the year? What strategies can we employ to wipe this income out? Cause we're not about to pay 30, 40% on this $500,000. So, um, from a from an organizational standpoint, those are some some really key things you would have, and yeah, at that point you're meeting with your accountant every month or at least every quarter to understand what strategies can we implement to wipe out this money. Because the thing about be, being a business owner is that you have until the end of the year to wipe that money away. So like if you have a million dollars in profit in December, you can employ strategies to move that money off the books so that at the end of the so that at twelve thirty one. It shows that you made no, 50000 right? But you, if you're not proactively implementing those strategies, bro, like you're going to have to pay taxes on all that money. That's a bad, that's a bad, that's a bad time. Yeah. You know what? I'm just, and, and here's kind of where I want to end, is just listening to you and hearing the story, there's been this incredible shift, right? And I can say that without even being there in the individual moments that mm -hmm. you had. And here's what I mean. You mentioned in the beginning, you said, the reason why I even wanted to be a, become a CPA in the first place was it had the lowest unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. And then I think about the mindset of that human, mm -hmm. and then I compare it to the mindset of someone who's literally breaking down in detail. Um, if you made a million dollars in profit, you want to bring down the, yeah, yeah. the, the amount. <laughs> I was trying to keep the jargon out of here, but go ahead, yeah. Like the, the conversation, the conversation is just so different. The mindset is completely different. It's a, it's a 180 shift. It's completely different. Mm. And I'm just curious for you, when you kind of reflect on your life, like where does that kind of land for you? Like what, where do you even kind of see yourself on that journey right now and, and what's in the future? Well, the first thing I think, I think it goes back to if you can succeed in a job that you hate, imagine what you can do in the business that you love. I love taxes as like corny as that may sound, right? So like, I'm gonna, st I'm gonna study more than the person that like 
that hates it. So that therefore I'm going to have a natural advantage on my acumen because I just, I love doing it so much. Um, but like where I think I'm going, um, there is nothing that I can't do. There's nothing that there's, there's no one I, I can, there's no one I can't become as long as I surround myself with the right people and keep the impact over income mindset. And the reason I say that is most people are chasing a goal, a number. Reality, just a reality check for anybody in the room. That number is always going to move. If you want to make $100,000, you make $100,000, it's going to move to a million. You make a million, it's going to move to 10. So I'm focused on becoming the best person I can be and giving the most impact that I can possibly give. If I focus on those two things, money is going to happen. Success is going to happen. I'm, I'm more like my hero is, is, is me five years from now. Right. Uh, I think I heard, um, I forgot who said it, but, um, like my, like who I want to be keeps moving because at 25, I was like, I, I want to be this guy. And I, at, at 30, now I'm like, my hero is me at 35 at 35. My hero is me at 40. So, uh, the need is going to keep moving, but like I do my best to stay present, to have gratitude and just do to help as many people as I can. And the most, I don't care how much money you make. There's nothing that feels better than making someone else life better by doing what you love to do. Yeah. Impact over income. That's powerful. I'm just curious if, if the car to that, that sits in front of me today, if you had to go back and you had to have a conversation with the person that you were at 16, where literally like you're in a moment where your nightmare scenario is playing out in real life. Like I think about that sometimes, like what if your nightmare scenario was actually just what you were experiencing? It was just your reality. That's the moment that you're in. And so you just had to go back and speak with that 16 year old kid. I'm just curious if you just had to tell him one thing, what would it be? Um, if I had to speak with him, um, I would, I would let him know this. Um, whatever you're going to do, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. And the reason I would tell him that, cause there's a million things I can tell him, but like, so many people delay their dream life because they just don't get started. Period. Like my, I don't even consider it a regret, but like if I had to change things, like why didn't I start this sooner? Right. I would be five years ahead. So I, I would just tell them like, get started, whatever you want to do, get started today. Cause the moment you get started is the only time you can get better. And the first step is usually the hardest step. And after that, it just gets easier. So for me, one thing that's helped me is just like, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. So, mm, I love that. That's the perfect message to end. Thank you, man. I appreciate you coming on. Man, it was a great time. Okay, before we get out of here, I had to give you guys one last gem. The sponsor of today's show, Free Agency. Free Agency helps you find and win top of market roles. Here's how they do it. They are your career quarterback. They provide you with a dedicated talent agent. They understand you and your career goals. They will find you interviews at top firms and make sure you secure a top of market salary. So if you're looking to take your career to the next level, free agency is the place for you. 
Go to the link in the description for more information.